Go ahead and open your Bibles to Romans 12. It's been launching off there since the beginning of the year. Continue looking at transformation. Transformation, specifically through the renewing of our minds. So we began to really get a little more laser focused on this truth about renewing our minds. All right. Romans 12, 1. 1 and 2. Let's go ahead and read that together. Ready? Begin. Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, His good, pleasing, and perfect will. Father, once again, thank You for Your Word. And since the beginning of the year, we have been learning, hearing from You what it is to be in transformation. Understanding we're not called to just be good and happy better moral people, but literally we are called by Your Word to be godly and holy, to be set apart, to be part of a supernatural metamorphosis that transforms us more and more into the image of Jesus. And so, Father, this morning as we look at Your Word once again, and specifically look at what it means to be transformed through the renewing of our minds, Lord, speak to us. Speak truth through Your Holy Spirit, Lord, and then bring correction. Lord, show us areas in our life specifically regarding our mind today that we can actively change so that we can be um, in line with Your will for us. So we love You. We love Your Word. We ask You now to do what only You can do. In Jesus' name, Amen. So verse 1 there, it says, Therefore I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies... As living sacrifices, right? So 12.1 says, hey, metamorphosis, transformation, is a really begins with an offering being a living sacrifice, your whole body, your whole life, your whole being, right? And then verse 2 gets a little more specific. He says, actually, uh, yeah, he says, be transformed by the renewing of your mind, right? The renewing of your mind. So, hey, right off the bat, you want to be transformed? Give God your whole body. And he says, now specifically, if you've already committed that and you say, Lord, I'm yours, every day you start to say, Lord, I'm yours. I present myself to you as a living sacrifice. He says then, okay, now, continue to be renewed. Be renewed. If you look in your notes there, right, I I gave you some helps as far as definitions. Renew is a qualitative renewal, which makes a person different than in the past. The mind is the control center of one's attitudes, thoughts, feelings, and actions. It's not just head knowledge. It's not just intellectual assent. In fact, there are several passages in the Bible where mind is equivalent to, synonymous to, the heart. Right? And if you know Proverbs 4.23, it says what? Above all things, guard your heart, for it is the wellspring of life. Right? Everything in our life, according to Proverbs, comes out of our heart, which is the center of our being. Well, heart and mind, biblically, are equivalent. 
So when he says renew your mind, he's really, in essence, saying your control center. Right? It's very important to renew your mind because everything out of your life flows. And look at this quote that we had from Nancy Missler last week. I left it in there. It says, Without a renewed mind, our lives will remain the same as they've always been. No matter what we do or what we try, no matter how many Bible studies we attend, no matter how many scriptures we read, no matter how often we go to church, no matter how much we pray and worship, if we don't have a mind change, our lives will still have the same problems, the same failures, and the same defeats as they always had. You know, I shared with you this. Again, this is Mike Glennon's three years of sermon notes. First three years of the church here. So this would be double six years now. What difference What difference does this make? I mean, faithfully, you know, it's quite challenging. One of my biggest challenges is to try to condense a sermon into a sermon outline, you know, and, and, and all that entails. But are we here just to collect this? You know, you've heard me ask before, are we here just for information? Is it just information gathering? Or is it transformation? Right? Is, is this, is, is, is the size, you know, of, of how many sermon notes you have, the size of the stack of your sermon notes, is that equivalent to your spiritual maturity? Is that, is that what we hang our hat on? How many... How many sermon notes we've collected? Is that, is that what we feel good about? Is that, is that what we're about? Information gathering? More data? More things that we nod to? Or is it, what are we doing with this? How is this renewing your mind? How is this renewing your mind? Because I'll, I'll, I'll share with you, after 25 years of ministry, you can have two people. One person who is information gathering mode. One person who says, no, I want to be in transformation. So the first person who's gathering information, they have a stack like this. The other person says, no, you know what? I'm just going to take one. And for as long as it takes, I'm going to meditate and study and make this real. This one. Because I want this one to change my mind and change my life. Question. Who's going to make greater progress in the transformation process? Information gatherer or those who focus on renewed mind? Which one? Point which one is going to move forward? This one, right? So the question every time we leave is, what? Am, okay, Lord, how is this? How is this particular sheet supposed to renew my mind? Because if it does, according to Romans 12, 1 and 2, I am going to take a step in what? Transformation. Because according to Romans 12, 1 and 2, the key, the primary way that we are transformed is by what? Renewing of our mind. So if we want to be transformed, how many want to be transformed? Pretty straightforward. How do we do it? Renew our mind. Easier said then. Because that renewal takes time. It takes honesty. It takes transparency. It takes community. If we're really going to 
qualitatively renew our minds and walk in newness of life. Because the challenge is going to be, right outside these doors, life is waiting. Right outside these doors. And when we say amen, and we get up and you walk out the doors, the temptation and maybe the habit is to tuck it away and to add it to the stack. Right? So Romans 12, 1 and 2 says we're transformed by what? Renewing our mind. So when we leave here, we have, we're going to have a choice. You're going to have a choice of what you're going to do with what God just taught you. Either it's just going to be stacked, put under the information gathering stack, or you're going to say, I'm going to make a conscious choice to have this renew my mind. To work through it for as long as it takes. One little area. And that one little area is going to be renewed and it's going to play out into a whole lot of different areas. See, here's the thing. When you allow God to renew your mind, you don't know how it's going to play out. You really don't. What we tend to do as, as Christians is we flip it and we focus on doing on external behaviors. A good Christian does a certain amount of things and a good Christian doesn't do a certain amount of things. And so we focus on the scale... And we think that if the doing good measures up, then we're being transformed because we're doing good. And all along, our minds aren't really changed. We're just keeping checklists and scorecards. And we equate our behavior, external behavior, we put that as the marker. Here's the crazy thing. When you allow God to renew your mind, you don't know how your life is going to change. That's where the adventure begins. That's where all of a sudden you get motivated and you're saying things you've never said before. You're thinking things you never thought before. You're a completely new person. Why? Because God has a hold on the core of your being. Amen? That's what we're talking about. It's a choice. It's a choice. Now, here's the good, the good news is last week we saw that we're not left to our own devices. He says that he's given us everything we need for life and godliness, right? So turn to 1 Corinthians, one book to the right. We saw this last week, that what he has given us, not just the Holy Spirit, and he's given us the Word, but in 1 Corinthians 2.16, the Apostle Paul, comparing the natural man, the non-believer to the believer, Right? We'll start in verse 14 for context again. 1 Corinthians 2.14 says, The man without the Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, and he cannot understand them, because they are spiritually discerned. The spiritual man makes judgments about all things, but he himself is not subject to any man's judgment. For who has known the mind of the Lord that he may instruct him? But we have what? The mind of Christ. What he's saying here, hey, those, those people out there right now in this valley, if they don't have the Holy Spirit, they're not born again, if they don't have the Spirit of God in them, they think we're kind of foolish in here. In fact, some people might be driving by right now, walking by, hear the music, hear me speaking right at this very second, and they're going, what a bunch of fools. What, what, what they're doing in there, that's just foolishness. That's just silly. You still believe the Bible? 
Come on, man, it's 2016. You guys are still Bible-believing, Bible-applying, Bible-obeying people? That's foolishness. Anybody here before you're a believer think the same thing about those Christians, those born-againers, little cray-cray, right? Right? And then you got saved. The Holy Spirit indwells you. And suddenly, oh, it's true. Oh, I need a Savior. Oh, God loves me. And suddenly the Bible comes to life because the Holy Spirit comes in and goes, boop. And 1 Corinthians 2.16 says you now have the mind of Christ. What does that mean? It means you are able to understand spiritual things. It means you're able to understand the world from God's perspective. See, if you've been in church for any length of time, you take that for granted. You can just take that for granted. That is a supernatural event, a miraculous event that happened in your life and my life. You have the mind of Christ. You can understand this. Right? It's, some, it's one of those truths that as believers, we just kind of go ho-hum. Right? What does the Bible say about the Holy Spirit? Where does the Holy Spirit live? Where? Oh, okay, that's me. Ho-hum. Third person of the Trinity. Oh, yeah. God, the Holy Spirit. Eh, just lives in me. Oh, hum. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What's for breakfast? God, the Holy Spirit, indwells who? You see what I'm saying? The renewing of the mind, taking the time to grasp these truths that we become so cliche and ho-hum about. God, the Holy Spirit, indwells you. The Bible says you are a new creation, brand new. The Bible says you have the mind of Christ. Not only should that motivate us and give us enthusiasm, it should also say, okay, Lord, what do I do with this? What, what, what can I do to, to develop, to, to grow, to mature my mind? If I've been given the mind of Christ, if I can understand biblical truth, if I can see the world and the timeline of earth through God's perspective, Lord, wow, what am I supposed to do with that? Uh, I'm just supposed to act like everybody else. Is that what we're supposed to do? No, we are called citizens of who? Where? Heaven. With all the rights and privileges thereof. <laughs> That's what it, We're supposed to be salt and light just by being who we are and walking according to the truth because our minds are being renewed because we have been given, according to 1 Corinthians, the mind of Christ. Right? Right? Right, Betty? Right. It's a choice, and we've been able to see it. And we did something funny. Vin, can you bring up that laser real quick? Last week, if you weren't here, I just want to do this real quick, because for some it was very, very enlightening. Go ahead, Kathy. All right, first one. What do you see? How many see two faces looking at each other? How many see a candlestick? There's both, right? Okay, so real, real quick. Choose right now to focus on the faces. Put your hand up. You're focusing on the faces. Choose right now to only focus on the candlestick. It's a choice. You can see both, right? Next one. What do you see? Good and? Good and evil, okay. Oh, we had an oh. Okay. 
That is exactly what we need to have that moment when you know you got the mind of Christ. You got that, oh! All right? How many see both? How many can see both? Is there anyone who can? Okay, so now, hands up, focus, choose to focus only on good. Put your hands up when you're focusing. Okay, right now, choose to only focus on evil. Put your hand up. Okay. <laughs> There's two in there. You can consciously choose which one you want to focus on. We have the mind of Christ. You can choose. The world's view, God's view. Right? Last one. There's only one in there. And we candy had a, a moment. Okay. Jesus is on the screen. How many of you see Jesus? It keeps going back and forth. How many just see chaos? Okay, honestly, it's okay. How many of you don't see Jesus just yet? We had, we had, we had people stay after service, and they found Jesus <laughs> after church last Sunday. All right, Jesus is red letters. Okay, there's the J. There's the J. There's the E. There's the S. There's the U. And there's the S. Okay, how many see Jesus? Okay. You can choose to see Jesus. First it was chaos. First it was chaos, right? If you just look at it, you know Jesus is there. It's like I tend to see a bunch of white stuff, right? Then I have to focus on, oh, wait, Jesus is in there. And you can choose to focus on Jesus. You can see him. And that is ultimately, thank you, Kathy, you can go to black. That is ultimately what the mind of Christ is about. Not Not just understanding, but the mind of Christ helps us to understand Jesus. To come to Jesus, to see Jesus, to want a relationship with Jesus. That's what the mind of Christ is about, right? And why is this important? It's not just like more information gathering. Turn to Ephesians. This renewed mind, this renewed mind is supposed to play out in our daily life. Ephesians 4. Verse 17. Ephesians 4.17. So we've been given this supernatural mind of Christ. We've been given the Holy Spirit. We've been given God's Word. Look what we're supposed to do with it. Ephesians 4.17. So I tell you this, and insist on it. This is the Apostle Paul. And insist on it in the Lord, that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity with a continual lust for more. You, however, did not come to know Christ that way. Surely you have heard of Him and were taught in Him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. So here's the thing. This transformation, this renewing of the mind is supposed to play out in the real world. When you leave here, according to these verses, You're not to be living like the people 
who don't have the mind of Christ. So think about it. This is, this is where it takes time and effort and concentrated, concentrated thinking. What areas in your life, what areas in my life do I still think like a non-believer? Do I still react like someone who doesn't know the Lord? Right? It changes your whole perspective. It changes your emotion. It changes how you want to engage in it. But if you don't take that time, you can get sucked right into the worldview, right into the world way of dealing in it, and you're spinning, and you're acting just like the world. And he says in these verses, time out, time out. Don't act like them. Their mind is still, they're, they're thinking, they're darkened. You have the mind of Christ, right? Let's look at some more verses. It's in your notes there. Let's turn to Second John. Not many of us ever look at Second John. Second John is where? After what? First John, right? Amazing, right? We all, how many of us have been in First John? We studied First John. How many of us honestly never cracked Second John? Second John, right? And we're going to look at Third John. Look at Second John, chapter one, verse four. It has given me great joy to find some of your children walking in the truth, just as the Father commanded us. Go to Third John, verse one. The elder to my dear friend Gaius, whom I love in the truth. Dear friend, I pray that you may enjoy good health. And that all may go well with you, even as your soul is getting along. It gave me great joy to have some brothers come and tell me about your faithfulness to the truth and how you continue to walk in the truth. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. So, what are we supposed to be doing? Walking in the truth. It's not just, it's not just truth gathering. We are now supposed to take it and walk in it. We are to walk in the truth. And in the walking of it, we are, we are transformed. In the walking of it, we are challenged with old attitudes, old thought processes, old habits. And as you walk in the truth and you put on the truth and put off the old, what happens? You're changed. You're changed. Little by little, you are in metamorphosis, right? Look in your notes there. I put a quote. Because we, we, we saw in Second Corinthians that the Apostle Paul had become convinced of something, right? He says, I am convinced that one died for all, therefore all died, right? Christ loved convinced. I am convinced. And, and, and last week I shared with you, that word convinced really just launched out. Like, convinced, that's a strong word. What are you convinced of? In, in, in church, we call it a conviction. A conviction. What are your convictions this morning? Because here's the thing. We can have a long list of beliefs, but I'm not so sure that our convictions are as long. And that may be why you're stuck in neutral. That may be why you're not experiencing transformation and metamorphosis. Because you've got a whole line of beliefs that you learned from VBS. You believe a whole lot about God, but it is a true conviction. Is it a true conviction? Look at this definition from Josh McDowell. It says, To have convictions is to be thoroughly convinced that something is true. 
A conviction goes beyond having a personal preference about something. It goes deeper than a subjective opinion. Having convictions is being so thoroughly convinced that something is absolutely true that you take a stand for it regardless of the consequences. So what are your true convictions? What are you willing to stand for in 2016, March 13th, regardless of the consequences? I know what you, if I ask you what do you believe, you could probably give me a whole bunch of beliefs, but what are your convictions? What are your convictions? Because if you are keeping your pulse on this country and where it stands related to us as believers, it's getting, you know, what we call the gray is shrinking. And you better be really clear about your convictions. Because pretty soon it's going to cost you something. It's going to cost you something. And, and it's amazing. I, I came across this article. came out uh, January. It's amazing. And sometimes we think, because we live in, in the United States, ah, oh, it's a Christian country, oh, and, you know, it's all good. And we Look at this. It says, This is a titled report. 2015, just a few months ago, 2015 saw most violent persecution of Christians in modern history. The brutal worldwide persecution of Christians during the past year makes 2015, quote, the most violent and sustained attack on Christian faith in modern history. Open Doors, an organization founded in 1955 to assist persecuted Christians, They published an article, and this is what it says. The 2016 World Watch List documents an unprecedented escalation of violence against Christians, making this past year the most violent and sustained attack on Christian faith in modern history. We are living this. This is not in a history book. This organization says last calendar year was the most violent persecution of what we believe, brothers and sisters in Christ, in modern history. This is the world in which we live. Now, most of this happened in the Middle East, but it's creeping. It's creeping. And it's going to challenge all of us at the conviction level. Because it can cost you something. I read another article where where the, the underground church in Iran is booming right now. Some think upwards of a million Iranians have become believers and are meeting in underground house churches. Better believe it. They have their convictions. They're not playing church. Because should the doors open and they be arrested, there is a price to pay. So they are real crystal clear on their convictions. What they're willing to stand up for regardless of the consequences. And this is one of those areas where where I believe, you know, we, we say, yeah, renewing your mind. Yeah, you know, another, another sermon to add. But is this our convictions? Are we willing to stand for this? Act upon it, regardless of the consequences. Regardless of the consequences. And, and there's an area, and take it the right way, pastorally. Here, and I'm not talking about going to prison and losing your job. I'm talking about just being made uncomfortable. Just having a conviction about something as a believer and acting on it regardless of your feelings. Case in point, 
take it the right way. Going to church. How many of us came to church because... Don't put your hand up. How many of us came to church because we felt like it? How many of us... Well, of course, you wouldn't answer it. How many of us didn't come to church? Because we didn't feel like it. How many of us attend and actively participate in a local body of believers? Because it's the conviction of our heart. It's a conviction of our heart. And I'm going to get up, and, and whether the time changes or not, whether I feel like it or not, because it's the conviction of my heart, I'm there. It's a conviction. It's not just a belief that it's good for me when I feel like it. See, there's a whole lot of believers. And I understand this is a sensitive area, but you've got to call it what it is. A whole lot of people would say, I need to, they believe they need to be in church. They will say, I believe church is good. I believe you need to be there biblically. But it's not a conviction. It's not a conviction. Meaning, when something else comes up, something else comes up. And I'm not saying that certain things don't come up, but I'm just talking a conviction. A conviction. Yes. Hebrews 10 says not to forsake the gathering. 1 Corinthians 12 says we're part of the body. And the one can't say, I can't say I don't need you, and you can't say I don't need me, you don't need me. Right? That's all 1 Corinthians 12. Ephesians 4 says the body grows by every part doing its work. So based on the principles in those scriptures, is active participation and commitment to a local church a conviction has it become a conviction that's the difference that's the difference if we're in the renewing of the mind what are our convictions what are our convictions because our convictions oftentimes will supersede our feelings and you know i kind of said i surveyed last sunday how many of you you know don't always feel like coming to church and i said i'll help you i'll put my hand up Right, and what's amazing, and I shared this with you a few years ago, the, the statistics on pastors. You know, we kind of laugh. Oh, he's a pastor; he always wants to be here. You know, fifteen hundred pastors resign or leave ministry every month for a variety of reasons. Yeah, the percentage of pastors who are depressed and stressed and work mega hours off the charts. And I share that with you, not, not so you feel bad for me or anything, but so you understand, there's a whole lot of pastors in churches every Sunday that literally have to choose to be there. Because it's not a bed of roses. And the conviction of their heart is that that is where God called them, and so they're going through all this stuff. But they choose. Just like many of you have to choose. Because it's a conviction. It's a conviction. It's not just a, a belief that we kind of and why is this important? Because if we're going to renew our minds, we've got to have convictions. And there's two primary areas that we have to have convictions about, right? And it's in your notes. If you flip it over, the Bible and that God's Word is truth. Right? Turn to Second Timothy. Second Timothy, very familiar passage. We're going to introduce this this week, and then we're going to continue on next week. 2 Timothy 3.16, very familiar passage to us here. All Scripture is what? 
All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Is that a conviction of your heart that this is the inerrant, infallible, authoritative Word of God? Have you driven, have you driven that stake in the ground? Do you understand? What, you, that's, that's a passage that's so familiar. I believe that, but it is a conviction because to obey this can have consequences. There are people in prison and being put to death. Why? Because they believe what you just said you believe. And they have acted on it, and it's a conviction of their heart, and that they paid with it with their life today. That's what that article of 2015 was all about. Is it a conviction, right? And then turn to John 17, 17. Gospel of John. Look at this. John 17, 17. This is Jesus speaking about you and me, his disciples. He's praying to his Father. He says, sanctify, which means set them apart, make them holy. Sanctify them, he's talking about believers, by the truth. Your word is what? Truth. Okay, if we're going to be renewed, at the core, you have to to settle two core issues. This is God's word, and it's the truth. Not that it's just true, but it's the truth. You've got to settle that. What is truth? There's a definition where truth is that which corresponds to reality. So this is reality. This is the source of reality. This is truth, and it's from God. Those have got to be convictions. You've got you to drive the stake in the ground. And you're thinking, okay, that kind of sounds simple. Until... You put your head out of these doors and you step into the postmodern world where truth is relative. Truth is subjective. It's about what you prefer. Your truth is good for you. My truth is good for me. Let's just be tolerant of one another. See, that's, that's the futility of the thinking, right? That sends you down a slippery slope. Because we believe that truth is logical, rational, and objective. Amen? So in the logicalness of, of truth, there's a law I shared with this two years ago, the law of non-contradiction. The law of non-contradiction. Two opposing truth statements cannot both be true at the same time. That's, the, that's just the law of logic. Okay? So, how does that play out? Jesus is God. Jesus is not God. They cannot both be true. It's one or the other. Now, the postmodern world will let you sit there and they'll let that relative truth sit there. Objective, absolute truth will not allow that. One has to be true. And one has to be false. See, this is where it gets rubber meets the road. We have to understand, not only is that the world we live in, but we have caught up with a lot of that. Even in the world. Hell exists. Hell does not exist. They cannot both be true. That's just the basic law of non-contradiction. So you have to drive a stake in the ground. Either you're going to adopt the postmodern mindset where everything's relative and subjective and personal, or you're going to say, no, it's subjective and absolute and it's rooted in God's Word. 
has to be a conviction. You got you, you to gotta have that conviction if your mind is going to be renewed. A lot of us who don't go through this process, that's why you're double-minded. And what does the Bible say? A double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. You have to decide. And I shared this example two years ago. Ernie, how many do you think are in here? Just looking at it. Uh, 150. 150, okay. <laughs> Diana? 133. John, you're sharp. You're in a financial guy. How many are in there, you think? 72. 72. Okay. Okay. There is a number, right? There is an objective answer. It's 55. So, John, we'll give you applause for being the closest, right? Okay. There's 55 in here. Now, let's just go the other way. Betty, take a starburst. Pick, what did you pick? She picked yellow. Thelma, pick a starburst. Thelma picked pink. Carl, pick a color. All right, Thelma, don't eat it just yet. Now put it up. Put them up. Yellow, pink, orange. Which one is right? Which one is, which one is right? You see, you see here, here's the thing. It's the wrong question. Because it's an issue of preference. The world has now put spiritual truth in the realm of preference. They view the Bible and all the other religious books out there as just a matter of preference. So it's not a matter of right or wrong. It's just what you prefer. The Bible says God's Word is truth. God's Word is truth. <laughs> Siri Siri just said, I'm sorry I missed that, so I had to repeat it for Siri. Siri is listening. (laughs) Well, okay. (laughs) Do do you see? And we're gonna we're gonna look at this as we move forward. This is why a lot of us struggle. We, 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 we ascend to, we thumbs up the renewing of our mind. But when, it hit, when we go out there, we don't realize how powerful the culture is. And we don't realize that even we, we're believers, we believe Jesus, we love Jesus, but we still have some of this postmodern thinking even within our own lives that we have to sort through. We have to sort through. And so we're going to look at this. Is your walk with Jesus rooted in all Scripture being from God and being truth? Or is it preference? The answer to that probably has a direct impact on how you live your life. Probably has a real direct impact on how you're living and the choices you're making. Because it boils down to choice. We've been given the mind of Christ. We've been given the Holy Spirit. We've been given God's Word. And He says, now choose. And I want to close today before communion with uh, letting you hear from somebody who has to make a choice every day where she's going to focus her mind. So Sally, come on up here. I asked Sally to share a little bit of her story with you and her wilderness adventure with the Lord and the choices she has to make with her mind. Well, my wilderness is always with me. 
I have a, a brain tumor. I've had it for many years. Uh, I was diagnosed with it a few years ago. I had surgery done, and everyone thinks, oh, good, it's all gone. Well, it isn't. The position of it is between the quarter artery and jugular vein. They cannot remove it completely because of my uh, life would be at stake. So they, they took out what they could, and it did help. And they did radiation, which helped and slowed it down. And uh, the symptoms uh, are headaches, um, being um, uneasy on my feet, uh, trouble speaking, swallowing, uh, just you name it. I have to sometimes think that I could step and be able to do it. My feet don't always want to go where they want to go or where they should go. I think they are, but they're not. They're going every which way but where it should be. It's a choice every day to get out of bed and to be able to get dressed and do what I need to do. Uh, one of the biggest things that plague me is being tired all the time. If you think you're tired from doing a day's work, you ought to do a day's work with a brain tumor. Your body is always fighting it off. And I, I just wondered... Uh, when they, uh, I had surgery, they wouldn't give me any hope whatsoever. So I had to go into it blindly. And I had two weeks to prepare myself for the surgery. I went through the usual things of being scared to death of it, uh, thinking the world was away, uh, not wanting to do it, but yet wanting to do it. I finally came to the, the point of giving my whole life my whole body, mind, soul, spirit to the Lord and had complete peace when I walked in to, for the surgery. And I had asked the Lord to let me live long enough to care for my husband the rest of his natural life. And God does provide and he does answer prayer because I was able to come out of it and still be able to walk, talk, and look like I'm, I'm a human being and do everything else everybody else does. And I was able to care for my husband the rest of his natural life. It isn't uh, an easy task daily. I have the choice to get up and do it. And I, I want to do it. And after, after the surgery, I still, you know, before surgery I had a lot of problems. I still have them. They were relieved for a few years. I didn't have headaches every day. But I must admit, it's a rare day now that if I don't have a headache, boy, life is really bright. But the only way I can do all of this is through the grace of God. And uh, I like Philippians 4.13. I can do everything through him who gives me strength. And that he does give me every day. I wouldn't be able to live a day without the Lord because it's too hard. I, I have a lot of prayer. And Second uh, Corinthians 12:19, my grace is sufficient for you, empowering uh, for my power is made uh, perfect in your weakness. And that is a very true fact, and I believe in that too, because without the strength that the Lord gives me, I could not possibly do any of it. And then, um, 
I give thanks for my life. And First uh, Thessalonians 5, um, 16 through 18, Be joyful always, praying continuously, giving thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. And I, I don't thank God for the problems I have or the disabilities. I thank God for having Jesus in my heart and going through it with me. That is the biggest thing, and it's really wonderful. And I also uh, want to keep a smile on my face. And I, I want to always be joyful in the Lord. And with the pain and the trouble and the disabilities, I couldn't begin to do it if I didn't have the Lord in my heart because he's the one. And it's a choice to have him there. It's a choice to be able to do all the things that I can do. Actually, my, my life uh, with the Lord, I like Second Corinthians 9.15, thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. And the Lord has given me the gift of the Lord, Jesus. And I thank him so much for that. Thank you for letting me bore you in my life. (laughs) (laughs) All right, let's pray together. Father, thank you for Sally. Thank you for the convictions in her heart about her relationship with you, the convictions in her heart about your word being truth. And Lord... uh, Our desire is not just to be information gatherers, but to be in transformation by the renewing of our minds. And so, Father, uh, thank you. And help us all, Lord, to to leave here with a, a conviction to walk in truth. And as we take communion, Jesus, we do it once again in remembrance of you. And we take this time, just this private time, to to reflect on the convictions of our own hearts. That which we stand for, regardless of any consequences. In Jesus, we take this communion as a symbolic representation of the convictions of our heart. For you died for our sin, you were buried and you rose from the dead. We take this communion now in remembrance of you. Go ahead and uh, and come up, take communion, the communion cups, and head on back and then take communion uh, as you would like.